European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 6, Focus Issue, Heart Failures and Cardiomyopathies, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. New Guidelines on Adult Congenital Heart Disease, the Fantastic Four in the Treatment of Heart Failure, and also What Happened the Last Year in Heart Failure and Valvular Heart Disease. This issue opens with the 2020 ESC guidelines for the management of adult congenital heart disease, the Task Force for the Management of Adult Congenital Heart Disease of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC. Authored by Helmut Baumgartner from the University Hospital Münster in Germany and colleagues from the ESC Scientific Document Group. The population of adults with congenital heart disease, or CHD, has risen dramatically over the last 60 years. The treatment has become more effective in large part due to the successes of cardiac surgery and paediatric cardiac care. In most Western civilizations, greater than 85% of babies born with CHD can now expect to survive to adulthood. These guidelines address the many challenges regarding the management of adults with congenital heart disease. The authors note that since the previous version of the guidelines on the management of grown-up CHD was published in 2010, new evidence has accumulated for this patient group, particularly on percutaneous interventional techniques and risk stratification with regards to timing of surgery and catheter intervention, as well as medical treatment. This has made the revision of the recommendations necessary since adult patients with CHD now present in increasing numbers at advanced ages, including the elderly, the term grown-up CHD no longer appears appropriate and has therefore been replaced with adult CHD throughout the document. This is also in accordance with the international literature. The following article is from the Year in Cardiovascular Medicine series in The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2020 Valvular Heart Disease, Javier Bemejo and colleagues from the Universidad Plutense de Madrid and Cibaceve in Spain note that valvular heart disease, or VHD, is one of the most rapidly changing disciplines in cardiovascular medicine. During the past year, important basic research has provided new insights on disease mechanisms and identified new potential targets for pharmacological treatment. Despite the unequivocal impact of COVID-19, the results of landmark clinical trials with percutaneous devices have become available. Aspects of adjuvant medical therapies after device implantation have also been clarified. Technical improvements in next-generation valvular medical devices are taking place in parallel, showing promising preliminary clinical results. As the risk related to intervention procedures and their consequences is becoming lower, new opportunities for an earlier treatment arise. This issue continues with a focus on heart failure and cardiomyopathies. The special article entitled The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2020 Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies by Hector Bueno from the Centro Nacional de Investigaciones Cardiovasculares, or CNIC, in Madrid, Spain, and colleagues, again from the Year in Cardiovascular Medicine series, highlights that heart failure, or HF, prevalence remains high worldwide, 
with significant sex-related and regional differences in its presentation, management and outcomes. In 2020, advances in biomarkers and imaging techniques were reported for the diagnosis and prognosis of diastolic dysfunction, HF with preserved ejection fraction, or HFPEF, or monitoring cardiotoxicity, and a new definition of HF with recovered left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, was released. Benefits of renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors and beta blockers may extend to patients with an LVEF up to 55%, sacubitril-valsartan-improved LV remodeling, biomarker levels, and rates of sudden cardiac death. Two studies investigating the sodium glucose co-transporter 2, or SGLT2, inhibitors, empaglyflozin and sotaglyflozin in patients with HF, were reported. The Emperor Reduced trial in patients with HF with reduced EF, or HEF-REF, with or without type 2 diabetes, or T2DM, demonstrated a significant reduction of CV death and HF hospitalization in patients randomized to empagliflozin. In patients with T2DM and HF across the whole EF spectrum after recent HF hospitalization, the Solowis trial showed a reduction of the primary endpoints of CV death, total HF hospitalization, and urgent visits for HF in patients randomized to sotoglyphlozin. In addition, in patients with kidney disease with or without diabetes mellitus, or DAPA-CKD, dapaglyphlozin prevented deterioration of renal function. Two novel drugs, the activator of soluble granulate cyclase verisigat, and the myosin activator omcamtiv macabil in the large outcome trials Victoria and Galactic HF, predominantly reduced HF hospitalization in high-risk patients with worsening HF. In the AFFIRM AHF trial, intravenous ferric carboxymaltose reduced HF hospitalization in patients with iron deficiency after HF decompensation. As noted above, SGLT2, initially proposed for the treatment of T2DM, have been found to improve the outcomes of HEFREF. The question remains, however, whether the normally standard heart failure drug treatment in the SGLT2 inhibitor trials corresponds to a real modern guideline-directed medical therapy. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Influence of Neprilysin Inhibition on the efficacy and safety of empaglyphlozin in patients with chronic heart failure and reduced ejection fraction, the EMPERA REDUCED trial. Milton Packer of the Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, USA and colleagues evaluated the influence of background treatment of sacubitril valsartan on the effects of SGLT2 inhibition with empaglyphlozin in patients with HEFREF. The Emperor Reduced trial randomized 3,730 patients with heart failure and an ejection fraction of less than or equal to 40% to placebo or empagliflozin at 10 mg per day, in addition to recommended treatment for heart failure for a median of 16 months. About 20% of patients were receiving sacubitril valsartan at baseline. Patients receiving a neprilysin inhibitor were particularly well treated as evidenced by lower systolic pressures, heart rates, NT-pro-BNP, and greater use of cardiac devices. 
or P being less than 0.001, when compared with those not receiving sacubitril valsartin. Nevertheless, when compared with placebo, empaglyphlosin reduced the risk of cardiovascular death or hospitalization for heart failure by 23% in patients not taking a neprilysin inhibitor, P equals 0.0008, and by 36% in the patients taking a neprilysin inhibitor, P equals 0.009, interaction P equals 0.31. In addition, empagliflozin significantly and similarly slowed the rate of decline in EGFR in patients not taking and in patients taking a neprilysin inhibitor. Combined inhibition of SGLT2 and neprilysin caused minimal incremental changes in blood pressure and was well tolerated. The authors conclude that the effects of empagliflozin to favourably affect the clinical course of heart failure and kidney function are not diminished in intensively treated patients who are receiving concurrent therapy with sacubitral valsartin. In contrast, combined treatment with both SGLT2 and neprilysin inhibitors can be expected to yield substantial additional benefits. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Johann Bauersex from the Medizinische Hochschule Hanover in Germany. In his commentary, the author concludes that the totality of evidence now suggests that patients with HEFREF should be treated early with a combination of the four drugs, ARNI, beta blocker, MRA, and SGLT2 inhibitor, to fully benefit from substantial and sustained reductions of mortality and heart failure hospitalizations. The important task now is to ensure access to this evidence-based therapy for all HEFREF patients. In a clinical research article entitled The Effects of Spironolactone on Cardiovascular Function and Markers of Fibrosis in People at Increased Risk of Developing Heart Failure, the Heart, Omics and Aging, or HOMAGE, Randomized Clinical Trial. John Cleland from the University of Glasgow and colleagues investigated the effects of spironolactone on fibrosis and cardiac function in people at increased risk of developing HF in a randomized open-label blind endpoint trial comparing spironolactone at 50 mg per day or control for up to 9 months in people with or at high risk of coronary artery disease and raised plasma B-type natriuretic peptides. The primary endpoint was the interaction between baseline serum galactin-3 and changes in serum pro-collagen type 3 N-terminal pro-peptide, or P3NP, in participants assigned to spironolactone or control. Pro-collagen type 1 C-terminal pro-peptide, or PICP, and collagen type 1 C-terminal telepeptide, or CITP, reflecting synthesis and degradation of type 1 collagen, were also measured. In 527 participants, Changes in P3NP were similar for spironolactone and control, but those receiving spironolactone had greater reductions in PICP and PICP stroke CITP ratio. No interactions with serum galactin 3 were observed. The authors conclude that galactin 3 does not identify greater reductions in serum concentrations of collagen biomarkers in response to spironolactone. However, spironolactone may influence type 1 collagen metabolism. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Bertram Pitt and James Brian Bird 
from the University of Michigan School of Medicine in Ann Arbor, Michigan, USA. The authors conclude that while the major use of MRAs currently is in patients with HEFREF, it's reasonable to predict that on the basis of homage and other recent findings, in the near future the use of MRAs will be expanded, using new means to identify inappropriate mineral corticoid receptor activation to prevent rather than to treat HF, resistant hypertension, and chronic kidney disease. While SGLT2 inhibition has consistently been found to improve the outcomes of patients with HEFREF regardless of diabetic status, its effect on symptoms in patients with HEFREF or HEFPEF are poorly known. The Imperial program was designed to prospectively evaluate the effect of the SGLT2 inhibitor empagliflozin on exercise ability and symptom burden in HF through two conceptually identical randomized trials, enrolling patients with HEFREF or HEFPEF with or without T2D. Thus, in the clinical research article entitled Effects of Empagliflozin on Exercise Ability and Symptoms in Heart Failure Patients with Reduced and Preserved Ejection Fraction with or without Type 2 Diabetes. William Abraham and colleagues from the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, USA, enrolled patients with HEFREF, less than or equal to 40%, N equals 312, Imperial Reduced, or HEFPEF, greater than 40%, N equals 315, Imperial Preserved, with or without T2D, who were randomized to empagliflozin 10 mg or placebo for 12 weeks. The primary endpoint was the 6-minute walk test distance change to week 12. Key secondary endpoints included Kansas City Cardiomyopathy Questionnaire Total Symptom Score and Chronic Heart Failure Questionnaire. Empagliflozin failed to improve the primary endpoint and the secondary endpoints. Abraham et al. conclude that the primary outcome for both trials was neutral. Nevertheless, they found hypothesis-generating improvements in exploratory analyses of secondary endpoints with empagliflozin in HEFREF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Mark Petrie from the University of Glasgow and colleagues. The authors note that the six-minute walk distance does not appear to be the optimum patient-centred outcome. Indeed, the six-minute distance can be affected by many HF-related comorbidities, such as arthritis, previous stroke, obesity and lung disease, and is therefore not an optimal measure of improvement in patients' HF status. The impact of these comorbidities may be even more relevant in HEF-PEF, where comorbidities are more prevalent and more severe. The issue is further complemented by one discussion forum contribution. In a manuscript entitled, On Risk Stratification and Its Paradoxes, The Physician as Risk Factor? by Pedro Brugada, from the Free University of Brussels, UZ Brussels, VUB, in Belgium. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.